Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to speak about that passage that was just read from Matthew chapter 11, in which Jesus gives us a rather bizarre uh, paradox. A paradox is a a concept that connects two seemingly contradictory ideas. And uh, this is the paradox from Matthew 11. I'm just going to read three verses, 28 through 30. I invite you to read along. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I say that's an unusual paradox because Jesus unburdens us by giving us a burden. And that's interesting. He unburdens us, right? He invites those who are weary and destroyed and says, I want you to come to me, and you'll have a nap, right? But then he says, I'm going to do that by placing a yoke upon your shoulders, though that yoke will be easy and that burden light. It's a strange way of speaking, and I want to unpack that a little bit tonight. The Christ who unburdens as well as the Christ who burdens in order to unburden. That was fun to say. Anyway, so we'll deal with the unburdening Christ first. And I just want to deal with one element of this particular passage, and it's this. Who is invited to be unburdened? That is, who is the audience of Jesus Christ? Who is he interested in? And he's rather expansive in his words here. You note what he says, all. It's a big term. means you. means me. means us. All those who labor and are heavy laden. It's a universal invitation Anybody who's been afflicted. What I love about that is it's not just men, you know, and it's not just women, and it's not just rich people, and it's not just poor people who are down and out and can't pay their bills. It's not just people who are destitute and in gutters, and it's not people who are in high rises. It's everybody. Anybody who's been afflicted. And that universal understanding of the human condition, that is that we are the afflicted masses, goes all the way back to the opening chapters of Genesis. And whenever we engaged in catastrophe, whenever we willfully decided that it would be a good idea to burn down the universe, which is what the fall is, uh, we, as a consequence, as a consequence, gained a world that was coming apart. We turned creation into anti-creation, and in the fall, uh, we have these words, these words of cursing or hexing that occur. And this is what God says to the man in his relationship to all of creation. You you may remember these words. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. It's a horrific curse. And what it means is that every person who is born into this post-apocalyptic hellscape Uh, will be afflicted in some very, very real way. Creation will offer you uh, consistent, persistent resistance. (laughs) That was fun to say, right? But that's what it offers you, consistent, persistent resistance at every turn. Uh, And that will keep occurring to you until that same creation kills you. That's what that curse said, until you are buried by that creation. 
And so that's what unifies everybody in this room, that everybody in this room is afflicted. Now we're unified by other things too, but that's very key to our human experience, that we are the burdened classes. And Jesus seeks out the burdened classes, not just those who sin. He's really not talking about sin here. He comes for that too. But Jesus comes for people that have been walloped, that are destroyed, that are devastated, that just simply bear the effects of fallenness, right? It's just tough to be a human being. It's tough to be a human being who has a middle, if you have a middle child who's not speaking to you right now, if you have constant argumentative uh, chaos between a parent and child, if you're dealing with uh, a recalcitrant father who's unable to listen to you, if you're dealing with a job that you're just not a good fit for it and you've not been a good fit for 25 years but you're still trying to make it work, or you have um, some sort of house project that is just not coming together and it's costing way more than you thought it would and Jake Jeffers isn't around to help you with it, um, you know, and make it come together. Uh, you know, but you have some sort of crisis, some sort of issue, some sort of burden that's been on your shoulders for way too long and it feels like to some extent that you've gone to the dentist's office and you're wearing those lead vests around. You know, they're invisible, but you're wearing the dentist vests that they make you wear. You know what I'm talking about whenever you get an x-ray and the dentist puts on this leaden uh, uh, you know, poncho on you and then uh, they say, don't worry, there's not a lot of radiation in this x-ray and then they leave the room and hide behind some nuclear padded wall and then they press the button and you're zapped and then you're supposed to be fine. Well, that's what you wear every day. You're a burden person and I'm a burden person. And the truth is you only know about 60% of your burden. So much of it is subconscious that you don't even realize you're carrying it around. And your spouse, if you have one, only knows about half of it. You know a lot about that person, but you don't know everything about that person. So everybody's carrying around all these leaden vests. And what's interesting about Jesus is he is directing his attention, his gaze, his interest right at your burdened self. He is interested not only in sinners as sinners, but as burdened, devastated, destroyed people. He wants them. Um, he seeks out those very weaknesses that we very often, uh, for whatever reason, seek to masquerade or hide. Now, I do this all the time, and so do you. I mean, it's really interesting when people are very ill, for example, and not just ill with a contagious disease, but just ill with anything, they very often seek to uh, distance themselves from church or from public gatherings because they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be understood as weak or in need. I was uh, <clears throat> thinking about the, the hiddenness that we um, instinctively uh, embrace uh, in relation to our weakness, when I was watching uh, this new film, well, it's actually not new, it's from 2009, I think, Ricky Gervais's film, The in Invention of Lying. Maybe some of you have seen it. I didn't like it very much. I thought it was sort of cheap propaganda for atheism, but that aside, you know, it has some redeeming features. And uh, in it, it, it the, the whole film is about a world in which nobody lies about anything. They can't lie. They're not able to lie. They wouldn't even want to lie. But Ricky Gervais, this great British actor, is the only one in, in the world who's able to lie. And he does it all the time. Uh, and so it, what I love about the film is that uh, people don't lie about anything. And so he asks this very beautiful woman out on a date. And she says, well, I would say yes because I like your personality. But I have to say no because you're unattractive and rather lumpy looking. Which I thought was very funny. And then they had a, a, a television commercial where they were selling Coke, Coca-Cola. And the spokesman came on and he was really lackluster and he didn't look very happy. And he said, look, I really would like you to buy this because it helps to pay me an exorbitantly high salary. It doesn't taste very good. It's actually too sweet, and if you keep drinking it, you'll die. But I really want you to buy it so that you know you can make our company succeed. It was just great, you know, a world where nobody lies. 
Well, there was this wonderful instance in which <clears throat> Ricky Gervais's character came into contact with this uh, frumpy, overweight, 20-year-old bathroom attendant named Frank. And he offhandedly asked Frank, he said, Frank, how, how are you doing? And Frank was honest in his answer. Frank said, well, I'm pretty awful, actually. I was up all night researching on the internet different ways to kill myself, and I was learning a lot about suffocation and suicide, and that's what I'm planning to do tonight. I'm really miserable, and nobody cares about me now, and I don't think they ever will. So it's just better to go. And then Ricky Gervais's character looks at him and pleads with him and says, you know, please don't do that. Don't do that. I'm glad you told me, but don't do that. Because somebody's going to come along someday, and they're really going to understand you, and they're really going to love you, and I'm here with you now, and you don't have to do that tonight. And he said, you mean I really don't have to do that tonight? He said, you don't have to do that tonight. And then the, the kid recovers because he was met in his weakness by this loving presence, by this invitation. And that's what I, I want to say to you is that Jesus knows. He doesn't just know that, you know, you're a moral failure. <laughs> that's interesting too. But he, he knows that you have all sorts of lead vests that you're wearing and he loves you and he cares about what's burdening you and he offers this invitation to you um, all who are seared and all who are sore and all who are hiding things and all who you know conceal more than they reveal i want you i'm directing love toward you and this invitation goes to you and if you come to me i'm going to give your soul something that it couldn't have otherwise Right, I'm giving you a resource here. So that's something about the unburdening Christ and all who are invited. And now something about the rather strange and seemingly off-putting burden of Christ. He talks about putting a yoke on our shoulders, right? Which is strange because um, he says, I'm going to put a yoke on you, but it's going to give you rest. And I don't think of connecting those two ideas, right? What is a yoke? It's a big piece of lumber that you put on the necks of beasts of burden so they can pull plows or wagons. Not a restful image, right? But Jesus connects it to rest. He said, I'm going to make you wear this, and then you're going to be at peace. You're going to be well. You're going to feel like you've had a nap, right? Uh, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be yoked to Christ? I think it means something like this. I think it means to be bonded with him in a way. Because a yoke, very often, at least in the ancient world, were typically made to rest on the necks of two animals, not one. So he says, I want you to bear my yoke, meaning he's joining you in this you know, contraption. He's right there next to you. So the yoke is around his neck and it's around your neck and you're together. You're together in this project. So it means to some extent to be bonded to Jesus. And in becoming Jesus's trainee, in becoming his disciples, we bind ourselves to this rabbi, this great professor, this teacher, this master, this guru, in such a way that his way of engaging with the world, his way of thinking about the world, his way of feeling about the world starts to leak into our experience because we're bound to him. And so some of his habits and patterns and practices and some of the way that he thinks, his mind map all of a sudden becomes our mind map. And so he starts affecting us. I think that's in part 
uh, what it means. Um, uh, his way of trusting, his way of loving, his way of engaging, his way of living starts to be a shared enterprise. But then that begs the question for me, how on earth could that be described as easy? That is mirroring the disposition of Jesus. Easy? Uh, do you remember what he taught? I don't think anybody could read the teachings of Jesus and conclude, you know, that's really simple. That's really, uh, I'll remind you of a few of these life lessons from the great rabbi. Let enemies punch you in the face repeatedly. Uh, forgive idiots 70 times 7 times, right? Give away your money to people who won't repay the loan. Uh, don't be a hypocrite. Don't virtue signal in public to send a message about your veracity, your integrity. None of that, right? Already, he has devastated everybody in this room, right? And that's, the teachings of Jesus are, are very excavative and very dynamic and very powerful and very invasive. And what's even more than that, not only did Jesus teach hard things, let's say like, his life ended rather badly, right? I mean, he ended up tortured to death on a cross and then told his disciples that they have to carry their own crosses. I mean, can you imagine such a thing? That Jesus is giving us this example, something to exemplify that is very, very hard and in line with his own teachings. So how on earth is his yoke easy and his burden light? It sounds just the opposite. Well, two things. First, his yoke does offer the ease of an example. Now, here's what I mean. The Christian claim about Jesus is that Jesus modeled the healthiest way to engage with the world. Nobody engaged with the world as truthfully, as lovingly, and with as much integrity as Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, we as sinners go against the grain of reality. Jesus didn't. Jesus went with the grain of reality. And therefore, he was the freest man who's ever lived, right? He couldn't be manipulated. He couldn't be bought off. He couldn't be coerced. He couldn't be, uh, to quote my Western Pennsylvania relatives, finagled, I don't even know what that means, into any behaviors because he was totally free, totally free from pressure. He was the only person who was entirely free, uncoerced by the dynamic of sin. Uh, and, uh, and, and that was what was remarkable about Jesus. He lived without a lead vest. He didn't have lead vests that were weighing him down. And so he was walking in course with God against the wicked currents of the world and the sinful systems that were created in the world. And this is, the, this is what I want to say to you. Everybody in this room and everybody outside of this room, whether you're a Christian or not, we all live with yokes, burdens, leaden vests. But what Jesus is telling us is, look, not all burdens, not all leaden vests weigh the same. Not all yokes weigh the same. The yoke that I'm giving to you as you seek to live into what I'm embodying is lighter than anything else you're going to find in the world. Any other little tips and tactics and manners of life and any, no matter what side of the cultural you know, divide you're on, nothing is going to be as light as what I offer you because I'm offering you the way to be in alignment with God. And if you're in alignment with God, you, you have sort of a peace at the center so that your context, and all of us have rough context, right? Everybody is throwing ninja stars at you, by the way, all the time. You know about that? You're the, you are the recipient of endless amounts of Chinese ninja stars that are being thrown at you constantly by various forces that seek to, that, to alter your course and wound you. And what the peace of God does when it comes into you, when the comfort and sustainability of God does is make you a person that becomes less and less 
afflicted by difficult contexts so that you are always you no matter where you are and you don't have to dance all the time and you don't have to falsify and fake things that you can be the integral you wherever you are. Um, And as we live in alignment with God, which is what Jesus embodied, we can be really free. I think that's part of the lesson. So there is something in his example that brings ease to us. But more than that, the yoke offers the ease of redemption. What do I mean by that? The yoke, big piece of wood that somebody carries on their back, it's not surprising that a yoke looks something like a cross that somebody would carry. And it isn't also surprising that Jesus just used those words in the previous chapter about crosses. And now he's using this yoke image. And I want to say that for Jesus, he bears a redemptive yoke. Jesus is nailed to that yoke. Jesus dies for his failed trainees who are, to quote St. Paul later in the New Testament, united to Jesus in his death. We're united to him in that yoke. We are connected to him as he bleeds to death for us. And that blood covers over a multitude of sins, indeed all the sins you've got and ever will have, right? So I think the invitation as we consider this great unburdening of Christ, this rest that we find through bearing his yoke and joining with him, I think this invitation Um, says something very profound to us, and it's this, that Jesus Christ and his connection with us means he wants the real you. He doesn't want a false iteration of you or you wearing some person suit that is better than you really are. He wants the real, authentic, crushed, devastated you, the only you that is, and that is what it is, by the way, Um, that his arms are stretched as wide as can be Uh, for people like you and me. Like, you remember the 120-foot statue of the Redeemer Christ in Rio, right, on the top of the hill, arms stretched out? That's Jesus. That's Jesus for you when you're having a great day, and Jesus for you when you are as far uh, from him as you think you can possibly be. And Jesus says to you, whatever your moment, come to me. What I love about that is it's so direct. Come to me, not a surrogate, not a surrogate. Don't just come to a movie or a study or a Christian education or to a Sufjan Stevens concert or a bottle of Jack Daniels or another retreat or a guru or to this perfect denomination that you're going to still find. No, no, no. Come to me, directly to me. Come to me not an intermediary. I want you for myself. All those other things might be helpful, but come to me and come to me as you are. I came to you when you were weary and heavy laden. So come to me angry and lonely and frustrated and lustful and hostile and hateful and racist and antagonized and abused and paralyzed by insecurity, anorexic, vain, psychologically toxic, cynical, vengeful, tilting door toward despair, and I will love you as you are and not as you should be. Don't wait until you get your head on straight, till you repent enough, till you're free from sin and self-interest. Come now. Come and nap. Come and rest. Rest in me, and you will find all that you need for the healing of your soul. Amen. Free at last. They took your life. They could not take your